You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Joel Klatt presented by uh, Audi Flatirons. <laughs> we got so much. We got, why don't you go ahead? Just yeah, this, let's, Joel, Joel, Joel you we've might, been anticipating your reaction uh, to this for uh, an hour now. So go ahead, Mark. You may have. I wanted. Go ahead. Joel. I, I wanted to throw up on on Sunday. No, 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 no. We'll get. No, no. We'll get to that. We'll get, we'll get we'll to that. Get this to is the we'll good. Get, this, this is, is good. This is this good. is good stuff. We're gonna get to the good stuff first, and then we'll have the vomit <laughs> session afterwards. Uh, all, right. all right. What's up? Okay. So, um. I am meeting with the world's greatest American on Saturday, Tom Brady. Last and Saturday. I love, Tom, I, I love Tom Brady, too. I bet he smells amazing. Oh, I, <laughs> he's got his own fragrance. You know it. So, anyhow, Joel. Um, I don't know why Mike's laughing. You know it's true. Right. Oh, I do. I, so, I've got, I mean, you know, I'm I'm just giddy. I'm beside myself with excitement. So I go into a big conversation of back shoulder throws and throwing guys open and accuracy and all these different things, you know, on the fade ball and this, that, and the other. So we have this just kind of intellectual conversation on the history of accuracy. And, and I wanted to know from his standpoint, when you get to the line of scrimmage, what is like? What percentage do you know where you're going with the ball? Is it 85? Is it 90 percent of the time? Is it right? And he said, "Hey, listen. The thing you have to understand about me is I know my weaknesses. I'm not a reactionary quarterback. I'm an anticipatory quarterback. I have to know. So he's like 90 percent of the time. Like I know. Now they may get me every now and again, but I know where I want to go with the ball based on the defense that that I'm looking at. And he gets into this whole conversation about fifth day with you know the back shoulder fade and. People throw him 50-50 balls, and and he says to me, he stops me and goes, listen, and it's not arrogant at all, Joel, that you may have to pull your car over right now. He said, I don't throw 50-50 balls. I throw 90-10 balls. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh. I almost wet myself. It was so yeah, awesome. I, I, I think, listen, we all might need to pause and have a heater. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Woo! I throw. Is it I'm warm a, in I'm here? A little, I'm a, I'm a little flush. You're right. I'm air conditioning. Man, I, I love that. That's why he's so ten great. Balls. Yeah. I love it. I love that so much. That's why he's so great. You know. Oh man. Uh, all right. Now that we've had all had that moment. Woo. Woo. Wait, 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 Mike, Mike, hold on for a second. All right, now we're good. <laughs> good. Uh, all right. That was almost, uh, I'll have what she's having. Uh, what, what did, what did you think? You were there for that. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw Teddy Bridgewater make that, uh, that business decision? And then uh, even well, better, his, his, his explanation right after. To stay on theme. Acting. Yes. <laughs> That's what it was. He was acting like a football player. I hated it, and I've been a Teddy defender. I've known him for a long time, a long time. Uh, he cut his teeth in college under the exact same offensive coordinator that I cut my teeth under, Sean Watson. I know how he was taught. I know what he's been about for the majority of his career, 
and that was not it. I, I think that if you got him in a quiet moment, he would be incredibly embarrassed and remorseful about that effort. I, I just, I don't get that at all. Now, granted, the type of person that tends to be, you know, the blow-up clown with the sound sand in the bottom that just comes back for more regardless of, of the outcome. That's why I chased down that Miami defender only to get suplexed and thrown across the field with no chance to catch him. But, that I mean, that's that was just my mentality, and I think most people's mentality, if you're fair, you know, I, I think that the, the, the rarity is when you see a business decision like that. I can remember how, how Cam was vilified, maybe maybe the wrong word there. I mean, he was taken to the shed after the Super Bowl because of the quote-unquote business decision on that fumble in Super Bowl 50, if we all remember that, right? I mean, so, like, I I don't get it. I don't care if it's not going to win the game for you or not. There's there's a level of competitive discipline. There's a level of 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 leadership that you have to showcase in order to have any respect in the locker room. If I'm Teddy Bridgewater's teammate, why would I play hard for that? Like, as the quarterback, you are just a notch below and sometimes above, if you're the world's greatest American, the head coach. Like, you, you have to understand at that position that everything that you do is either building into the mentality of your team so that they play harder for you, or it's not. There's never a middle ground. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. It's the same type of ideology, right? So that was, to me, the end of the season, that moment. I hate to lay that on Teddy Bridgewater's shoulders, but that's what I believe. That's what I feel. I understand it's a business. I understand it's the NFL, and it's one thing if it's a wide receiver who goes out of bounds or doesn't dive for the stakes or whatever, because we all just know what wide receivers are about from a general you know, consensus. But when a quarterback does that and it's a business decision, guess what that business decision signified to me, and I think everybody in that locker room is that the season is done. Yeah, it's, uh, it was one of the ugly plays. And, um, you know, in, in the bottom line, you got to move on from it. Obviously he's apologized. He's, he's acknowledged it here locally to the media and to everybody else, but it is, is it something you can't come back from though, Joel. You, you can't lay yourself out in front of the team tough, and say, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't, it's, it's unpardonable. That, that is, that is tough. Why did we love the Duke so much? Why did we all love John Elway so much? Because the guy took a pounding back in the 80s and just always was up for it. He was always ready. He was always playing what we felt like was his hardest to bring him back in the fourth quarter, and he would. I mean, you know, the helicopter play in Super Bowl 32. There's countless examples. That's why we love him. And as a quarterback, if you're not going to do that, Boy, you, I mean, you better have a fused neck and be a Hall of Famer, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that we can all be understand, like, okay, the business decision there wasn't just a business decision. It was a, I want to be able to walk and throw the ball with my kids later in life. And if it's not that, I, Mike, I don't think you can come back from it. I'm harsh in that respect, though. You got to understand, I'm the youngest of four, 
son of a Marine who, you know, that, that Marine coached high school football for 30 years. And, and like, I, there were, I love to compete. I might be the wrong person to ask because I just don't think that you come back from it. Maybe in this day and age with everybody on, on TikTok or whatever the crap, you know, you can, but uh, not in my estimation. Yeah, it certainly is hard. It certainly is a bad look. Um, the other thing that was a bad look is how you respond to success. I always say it's easy to respond to failure, but it's really hard to be a professional at, at times and, and respond to success. And the Denver Broncos under Vic Fangio have the best kind of their, their signature win against the Dallas Cowboys. And they come out against Philadelphia and just roll over. Is that a cultural issue? Is it a player issue, Joel? Or is it a coach issue? I think it's all of it. I think that it, it speaks to a lack of leadership, maybe at every level. It speaks maybe even more so to a lack of standard. Um, I'm a big believer that, that the leadership in your organization, whatever organization that is, is, is an expectation holder, a standard bearer for everybody else. And, and the better the leadership in your group, and again, this goes outside of sports, the better the leadership in your group, the more internally you are going to hold standards and expectations and, and those standards. And so when you see great teams at any level, you hear them constantly talk about, we just need to focus on us. We need to play our best football. We just need to do what, what our jobs. And, and it's because they understand that the internal standard that they hold for themselves is higher than what it will take in order to win the game. And this also, if you peel it back, if you peel the onion, you know, the layers off the onion, if you will, when you see what you've seen from the Broncos in the last couple of weeks, I feel like it's the epitome. It is the, the, showcase of the old adage, do you love football or do you love being a football player? And when, when you can't handle success, it's because once you have that success, you're seeking out everything that you're doing it for, which is, you know, the praise and affirmation on the outside and, and seeking how, how, how cool it is. And everyone's telling me how great we are. And that's what I'm doing this for. And, and the real grinders, the real guys that love football, they'll dive right back into the details, hold themselves to a higher standard because they understand that their internal standard is much higher than anything else on the outside. Um, I know that's a bunch of physical, you know, philosophical crap, but I, I truly believe that in any organization, the, the best organizations, they have kind of a hedgehog concept. That hedgehog concept is like an internal expectation, an internal standard, and that's what they hold themselves to. And and clearly, I mean, plain as day, that is not the case with the Denver Broncos. Busy with Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. We all anticipate that uh, Vic Fangio and the staff will be blown out to the point where they were already talking about the identity of the next Broncos coach. What what do they need more right now? Do they need the young, fresh, uh, offensive innovator, or do they need a culture builder? Uh, do they need Kellen Moore, or do they need Dan Quinn? They need the best coach available. I can't stand when when college programs or programs uh, organizations in the NFL. I can't stand when they put themselves in a corner before they seek candidates. It's like the dumbest thing of all time. 
like seek the best possible candidate period um i and and generally when you do that then you get somebody pretty good but when you're out there and you're like well we have the old defensive guy so now it's got to be the young offensive guy then you're just riding the pendulum i just remember you know the old, any of you that have been in denver for more than like 37 minutes will remember the old eliches Right before it became corporate and Six Flags in downtown, I'm talking about like the old Eliches, which was phenomenal. I'm 40 years old, almost 40. I grew up in the Denver area, just in our in, in the Arvada area, and we used to go to Eliches. I used to go with my buddy all the time, and there was that dragon ride, and it would kind of like just like swing back and forth, and the tire would like swing up one way, and then you would kind of swing back the other way. It acted like a pen- pendulum, and back then it was like. The, the Miller Lite commercials, it was like, less filling, tastes great. And everyone would shout, like, less filling, tastes great. And it was great. And I didn't know what they were saying. I was seven or eight years old. Maybe it led to what my problems were in my early 20s. But we were shouting, yeah, less filling, tastes great, less filling. Well, when you're constantly pigeonholing yourself, all you're doing is you're riding the old Elish's dragon ride. I don't even remember what it was called. Less filling, tastes great. So rather than riding the pe- pendulum, why wouldn't you just pull yourself away and you say, we're going to get the best possible candidate that we can. And, and to be fair, guys, I'm struggling finding an example of a professional organization that has top line success that has issues, problems, drama within ownership. And so I don't know if it matters who the next coach is until the Broncos figure out this, this, I mean, messy and ownership situation. I I think that that needs to get figured out before this is going to get pointed in the right direction, because I think it's very difficult, whether it's at the college level or at the pro level for a coach to overcome poor athletic directors or presidents, or in this case, general managers and, and ownership. Let me ask you, based upon, you know, the best possible candidate theory that you have, does it make sense, would you, if you were in charge, fire Vic Fangio now, you know, appoint an interim like Mike Munchak, and then start your search now? Like, like where, like, would you fire him now, or would you just continue, um, you know, the debacle that is this season? I would start my search now. I don't know if it, if it matters. I think... The only thing that's firing a head coach, at least in professional sports, does because college is so much different with the early re- recruiting period, and that doesn't really come into play in the NFL. So the only thing that it does is it is it sends off basically a flare in the locker room that basically, like, one, you're all probably not going to be here, or two, you're playing for your jobs. And that that can be, I guess, beneficial at times. Well, I don't know if that matters as much, but the but behind the scenes – the coaching search should should have started weeks ago, but absolutely start that process now. And maybe, and to be honest with you, I'm not completely familiar with all the CBA agreements. Maybe they have to fire him in order to like open it up officially. I, I don't know exactly how that all works from a legality standpoint with the league's agreements. But if they need to do that, then they need to fire him. But if not, the coaching search needs to be started immediately. Did I see correctly? Did Alabama move up in the rankings after no, beating New Mexico. Seven. After beating New Mexico State, <laughs> no, they they remained uh, at two. The top seven 
remained the same. Should Oklahoma get... was the highest ranked team that lost. So I I don't know. Shouldn't shouldn't you be penalized? Strength of schedule if you play somebody like that? I never understood how the SEC gives themselves a bye week late in the season and they're never ever punished for it. Yeah, penalized for it. Well, it's really smart because in, in college football, it doesn't matter who you lose to. A late loss is always going to hurt you more than an early loss. And so what the SEC did is it's, it's, it's a, a few different reasons. One is they only play eight conference games. So they've got more non-conference games to space out across the schedule. So they also saw a few years ago a void early in the year in terms of valuable inventory. And they thought to themselves, boy, we can capture the imagination and, and the focus of the college football landscape by putting some of our league games early in the year. And so they would start kicking off some of their league games early in the year, and you'd get the first week of the season where it's like A&M Mississippi State and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think that was like the Kimmy Hill game, uh, neither here nor there. So they, so they spaced out their conference games across all, you know, 13 weeks of the season, if you will. So then – with four non-conference games, every one of these schools plays a joke. And that's not all that dissimilar from other conferences either. I'm just, they, they just do, right? That's, that's kind of the nature of college football. Well, in most cases, they'll put that in November because they've spaced out and they can fit it in November. The SEC, more so than anybody else, what they did is that they scheduled and beat, built their structure as a league to win championships, not necessarily run after profit run after revenue. Whereas in other leagues, like in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, what they did is that they built their structure in order to maximize television deals so that they could share revenue right away. Well, they did that. They added a ninth conference game. They put all their conference games in in kind of a a, a 10-week stretch, which is much more difficult. So this is just one of those things that in college football, it's not the SEC's fault. It's actually very smart of them. It's, It's like you know, playing within the rules, but then you, after a couple of years, you realize, like, man, that's probably not great for the sentiment. Be that as it may, this is what it is. Huh. I, 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 very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I learned something right there. I think a lot of us did. All right, who you got this week? I've got Iowa State at Oklahoma. Not the best. We, we will have uh, Ohio State-Michigan next week. So I'm hoping that... Uh, the Buckeyes and Wolverines can take care of business this week. I'm just hoping that uh, Jim Harbaugh doesn't burn himself up on the sideline. That, 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 that you get there with him. That's what I'm hoping. I tell you, I tell you, man. I'm still. I got to tell you, I'm still a little flush with the 90-10 from the world's greatest American. Something to just hang your hat on, Joel. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you. Oh, that's so good. It I is. mean, I feel like I bring 90-10 every single Wednesday morning. You're you. welcome. Oh, really quick. I'm sorry. I, I, this is at the risk of having Benny go into a conniption. Uh, one of our listeners, Tucson Tim, put together his list of the top five prima donnas at the fan. Number five was, uh, Jimmy Merrillat. Number four was Brandon Stokely. Number two was Tyler Columbus. Number one, no surprise, was Mark Schlereth. But how about this? You, despite only being on 20 minutes a week every week, came in at number three as the third biggest prima donna on the fan. I'm offended. Yeah, you don't. No, no, no. You're offended because you're not number two or number one. That's exactly right. Ah, yeah. I know. I mean, what? Yeah, that's what I thought. Tucson, Tim. Of course, he lives in Tucson. 
Get out of here. Mm-hmm. See you, Joel. Joel Klein presented by Audi Flatirons. All right, more uh, Tell Me Why I'm Wrongs coming up next. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.